strike time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend as we join you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. It is our off-season editions of Tribe Talk heading your way. We will soon be Guardians Weekly. Could be as early as next week, but we'll fill you in as soon as we know. The show format will stay the same. We'll have uh, coverage of the Indians off-season activities taking you up until spring training 2022 and of course each week during the regular season we will join you as well so the name changes but uh, the information and format and interviews all stay the same and uh, we hope you can join us each week for Tribe Talk right here on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network and coming up a little bit later on in our show today we'll continue with our Game of the Week segments we'll take a look back had a walk-off win for the Indians back in May against their rivals from the World Series back in 2016, the Chicago Cubs. Ahmed Rosario showing some early signs that he would be a force to be reckoned with at the plate for the Indians throughout the 2021 season as he would play a key role in that walk-off win. So that's in the second half of our show. We'll also hear from Indians Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio a couple of times on the show today. One in honor of Veterans Day, talking about the impact that Bob Feller had when he played the game back in uh, the 40s and 50s for the Indians, becoming one of the great pitchers of all time, but also the Bob Feller Active Valor Awards, which come up this coming week, an online event that you can participate in or at least view if you want to see who the honorees are this season. And it's sure to be a very enjoyable event honoring those who have a military presence or serve in the military while also putting together great careers in the game of baseball. And before we get to our conversation with Bobby D, first a look at some developments in the Indians' minor league system. Two prospects who are playing in the Arizona Fall League, that high-powered, prospect-driven uh, league that sends so many players almost directly to the big leagues the following season, while well, the Indians have two players there who are really putting together tremendous falls one of them a middle infielder Jose Tena how about that a middle infielder in the Indians farm system a farm system that's bursting at the seams with high quality talent at short and second and they move him around maybe put him in the outfield just to create some playing time but Tena has had a tremendous Arizona fall league he's leading the league in batting heading into play today with a 415 average he's only 20 one of the youngest players in the league this past season, he hit 281 with 16 home runs and 10 stolen bases in 107 games, and that was in his full-season debut at High A Lake County. So uh, a real good season for Tena, and now he's at it again in the Arizona Fall League and a lot of people talking about him, so we'll see, I'm sure, a lot of him in spring training 
next year in Goodyear. Richie Palacios, who's now an outfielder, formerly an infielder. We mentioned Indians have to move some guys around there to make room and playing time for all, but he put together a tremendous year this year, and he's doing it again this fall. So he has made the All-Star game as well, that game to be played again on Saturday night out in Arizona. And Palacios, boy, you talk about some bloodlines. It's a family that already has two major leaguers, his uncle Ray, and he has a brother, Josh, who have played in the major leagues. And uh, this past season, he had 297 with seven home runs and 20 stolen bases in 103 games, and that was between AA and AAA. So a lot to look forward to with uh, Tena and Palacios getting major playing time and exposure at the Arizona Fall League. Well, we'll take a break and hope you can stay with us as when we come back, Bob DiBiasio talks Bob Feller, Veterans Day, and the Bob Feller Active Valor Awards. They're all tied together, and that's coming your way shortly on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Hi, it's Flo from Progressive, and today I'm at a tailgate to tell these diehard fans the good news. Uh, no thanks, not interested. Okay, but you and I have a lot in common. Oh, yeah? Sometimes when people compare our rates to our competitors at Progressive.com, we lose. And we both hate when our team loses. It eats at our souls and keeps us awake at night. Wait, what team? This is a concert. Oh, then I need a whole new metaphor. Yeah, you do. Good luck with that. Shop and compare rates at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. think back to so many great games that you pitch is there is there one game that sort of personifies your career uh when i came back from my tour of duty in the navy which i was in there in 41 2 3 and 4 and 5 in 1946 i pitched a no hitter in yankee stadium i have a very good stuff i struck out 11 that, that was the best no hitter i had out of three of them that was a very important ball game and to me, because it was showed that I could come back and play pitch major league ball again. Welcome back to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, soon to be Guardians Weekly. And we thank you so much for tuning in, as always. This past week, once again, the U.S. celebrated the service of so many veterans with Veterans Day this past Thursday. And for the Indians, that always brings to mind one of the greatest players in franchise history, that is Bob Feller. Not only a tremendous Cleveland Indian Hall of Famer, but certainly a decorated military veteran. And Bob DiBiasio has joined us, Indian Senior Vice President of Public Affairs. And uh, Bobby D, a, a great event that is now almost a decade old will take place this coming week the Active Valor Awards in the name of Bob Feller. And I know it's a, a, a period of time that you really look forward to and, and certainly an event that has uh, grown and taken off as time has gone by. It sure has, Rosie. Thanks for having me. Yes, this past week uh, we did celebrate Veterans Day. And as you indicated, whenever that does happen, our, our thoughts turn to uh, Bob Feller, who... Um, was the first professional athlete to enlist uh, following the bombing of Pearl Harbor. As a matter of fact, Bob was on his way to Chicago to meet up with the general manager of the Cleveland Indians to sign what would have probably been the most lucrative baseball contract 
of its day. And as Bob had, I think, already won more than 100 games as a young pitcher at that time. You know, he started uh, in the big leagues at the age of, of 17. Um, as he was driving from Van Meter, Iowa to Chicago, uh, he heard on the radio the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And instead of going to meet the general manager at the designated hotel, in downtown Chicago, he veered off and went straight to the U.S. Navy Enlistment Center and uh, knew where he was needed, uh, the service of our country. And he could have easily uh, had a deferment. His father suffered from a brain tumor, so he was the breadwinner for the family. But uh, his call to duty, uh, service to our country in time of national need, um, was the overriding factor for him. And uh, he uh, ended up on board the USS Alabama. And following uh, his passing, we uh, assisted a gentleman by the name of Peter Fertig, who got to know Bob well, uh, in creating the Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation. Uh, the mission is through that unique intersection of baseball and the department of the Navy, we recognize and honor those who support our service members with the Bob Feller act of valor award. Uh, we, we work hard to use the story of Bob Feller to educate the youth of today on the lessons of citizenship, service to one's country and sacrifice in time of great national need. We really believe, Rosie, that teaching the legacy of the greatest generation to the youngest generation will help instill in them the virtue of service to others. And we work hard as a foundation now in our ninth year. And one of our most important uh, elements, uh, events of the year is our annual uh, ceremony. Normally, it is in Washington, D.C. at this time of year at the U.S. Navy Memorial. Uh, unfortunately, we can't uh, meet uh, in person, so we have, for the second year, a virtual broadcast of our ceremony. It's about an hour long. It is free of charge. We would ask everybody interested to go to activevalorawardorg and register to, uh, to watch the, the ceremony as we honor those who support our uh, service men and women and the the major leaguer current major leaguer we had him on a couple of weeks ago minnesota twins pitcher griffin jacks uh, a graduate of the air force academy which boy when when you talk about that obviously what what bob feller did was was second to none um, and you look in today's day and age and for someone to reach the major leagues after Going to a military academy, whether it be West Point, Annapolis, or uh, where Griffin Jacks went, the Air Force out in Boulder, Colorado, gosh, it just seems like the odds would be stacked against him to make it to the major leagues, but he did, and, and he talked about that service and, and what he hopes to bring uh, in terms of recognition about the military and make it something that you can achieve two different things, and, and maybe that started with Bob Feller in that he was still able to play baseball and serve his country. So true. Griffin Jacks is a wonderful story. Um, very uh, excited that we were able to um, present the Bob Feller Act of Valor Award in the category of 
Major League Baseball. To Griffin, his wife Savannah is a captain in the uh, Air Force. When Griffin, if I have it correctly, Rosie, when he made his Major League debut, uh, I think it was at Yankee Stadium, he became the first graduate of the Air Force Academy to pitch in a Major League Baseball game. You have it correct, and, Bobby D. Yeah, I thought I thought that was right uh, in chatting with Griffin and listening to your interview with him, a, a, a solid, wonderful young man, uh, a, a strong family. I think he has brothers who are in the Air Force as well. Um, the service to others, it certainly lives strong in the Jacks family. Uh, we also honor a baseball Hall of Famer is one of the categories as well. Joe Torrey uh, is the uh, recipient this year uh, of the uh, Bob Feller Active Valor Award uh, in the category Hall of Fame. We uh, will honor a United States Marine Corps non-commissioned officer with the Jerry Coleman Award, as you know, Jerry Coleman was a, a terrific ball player for the Yankees, but an even better broadcaster with the San Diego Padres, uh, a Hall of Famer himself. And he actually uh, participated in two wars. And so we felt it important to honor an award. And First Sergeant Daniel P. Best was the recipient of the Jerry Coleman Award. Um, we also give out six scholarships. We honor two peer-to-peer -peer mentorship groups. Um, as I mentioned, we, we do a member of the National Baseball Hall of Fame, a current member of Major League Baseball. Uh, we do the Jerry Coleman Award. We also honor a chief petty officer, <clears throat> which is the rank that Bob Feller achieved as he was aboard the USS Alabama and the uh, recipient of the Chief Petty Officer um, Award <clears throat> goes to uh, Joshua A. Sawyer, uh, a Naval Air Station Fallon, Chief Joshua A. Sawyer. So um, a terrific program. Again, it's about an hour long. It's free of charge. Go to activevalorward.org. Just click on the register page and uh, join us next Thursday on the 18th to uh, uh, participate uh, and view the way we go about celebrating that unique intersection of the game of baseball and the Department of the U.S. Navy under the umbrella of the Bob Feller Active Valor Foundation. And Bobby D., we talk about Bob Feller and, and arguably the, the greatest to, to ever wear the, the Cleveland Indians uniform. We are in that time of transition, but I know um, a lot of folks wondering, hey, what happens to the, the history of the, the Cleveland Indians? And I know Paul Dolan, the Indians owner, has talked about it. That doesn't go away. Bob Feller will always be a Cleveland Indian. And um, how important is it to remember that at, at this particular time in the Indians slash Guardians history now? Well, it's so very important that uh, we all hold dear so many memories um, as we watched uh, growing up, many of us uh, in growing up in our town, you know, near and dear to our hearts, the Cleveland Indians franchise, we hold so many memories, whether it's your first game at Cleveland Stadium, uh, 
whether it's all the postseason games here at Progressive Field, World Series appearances, all-star games, uh, the longest winning streak in Major League Baseball history, um, whatever it is, both on and off the field, the memories that we hold dear uh, and near to our heart, those don't go away. They never will go away, and they shouldn't go away. But we have room to have more memories, and we will create more memories under a new name, the Guardians, and that begins uh, March 31st when uh, we open up against Kansas City. And uh, I think, what are we, 100 and less than 150 days away from that, if my math serves me correctly. <laughs> I will not question so your math on this one, Bobby, because I know you are locked coming. in. <laughs> it, yeah, it's coming. It's coming. But uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, please, we, we want people to truly understand. We fully um, support the idea that uh, all those memories we hold dear, um, they remain. And uh, we just have room to create more. Well, Bobby, as always, uh, great to have you along. And I know you're looking forward to, as we get back to uh, a little more normalcy, uh, that calendar year beginning with uh, one of your favorite times of the year out in Arizona, Indians Fantasy Camp. Sounds like that's back and, and ready to go full swing. Well, it is. Uh, we're so excited that we have the opportunity to uh, to get that group, that band together, as it were, as we have such a wonderful time, not only with the the six generations of former players from Max Elvis to current guys, um, you know, most recent uh, alumni, I should say, um, to be a part of it. And then uh, the men and women who get in uniform and, and enjoy um, uh, just a wonderful, wonderful week of camaraderie and celebration of our rich history. So. Uh, that's coming up in January, and uh, we cannot wait. Awesome stuff as always. Bobby D., thanks a lot for coming by. Uh, good luck with the, the virtual event for the uh, Bob Feller Active Valor Awards, and uh, have a great Thanksgiving. Yeah, you too, Rosie. Take care, buddy. That's Indians Senior Vice President of Public Affairs, Bob DiBiasio. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you. Time for our Game of the Week segment, something that we do on a regular basis during the offseason, taking a look back at some of the, the great games of the 2021 season in this case. And for the Indians, quite a few walk-off wins at Progressive Field in 2021. And we take you to Wednesday night, May the 12th, the Indians and the Chicago Cubs in interleague play a game that would go 10 innings, and Sam Henches was on the mound for the Indians in a game where the Tribe came in just a game back of first place in the American League Central Division. The Indians were 20-14 and 14 at the time. You may recall they were off to a good start and hanging in there, and a lot of folks were saying, well, how are they doing that? Because offensively, not a whole lot was going on. They were off to a very slow start at the plate as a team, but the starting pitching was carrying the Indians, and that would continue to be the case in this one against the Cubs. Meanwhile, the Cubs, with still a star-studded lineup, were 17-19 and 19 coming in, and a precursor of things to come for them as they would fade terribly into the All-Star break and then the trade deadline, and they traded some of their biggest stars from the 2016 World Series team, 
the likes of Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, among others, being traded at the deadline. So for the Cubs, those players were still a part of it on this Wednesday night in mid-May, but it would look a lot different later on in the season. So we head to the game action. Again, Indians and Cubs on May the 12th, a Wednesday night at Progressive Field with uh, about 10,000 fans on hand. The Indians still under restrictions in terms of COVID at that point, although that would change a couple of weeks later. Sam Hentges on the mound got the start and showed why the organization was so high on him after a good spring and a solid start to his season out of the pen. The left-hander with a high hold, a check of second, comes to the plate, and a swing and a miss. Got him with the heat. So Hentges got in a jam, showed poise, and worked out of it. Now the set. Now the one-two. Swing and a miss. Chased the curve down. Hentges strikes out Hayward, his fifth. And again, the Cubs strand two. That's six runners left on base for the Cubs. Middle of the third, no score. Good pitching on both sides as the game stayed scoreless until the Cubs broke through with a run in the top half of the sixth inning. But the Indians quickly tied things up in the bottom of the inning. Ahmed Rosario delivered a big RBI base hit. Cubs up at the corners. Ahmed Rosario rips one to left. That's a base hit near the line. Around third, Hernandez. He's coming home. Throw to second. In sliding with an RBI. Double is Ahmed Rosario. And we are tied at one just like that. Back-to-back doubles by Cesar Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario. Rosario's third double is eighth RBI. And the Indians didn't trail for long, did they? 1-1 ball game here in the sixth. It remained tied at one through nine. Two extra innings we'd go, and the Cubs started the 10th with a runner at second base. James Karinchak, who was off to a tremendous start, was trying to keep things even at 1-1. Now the 2-2. Strike three called. Oh, my, what a curveball. Sogard couldn't pull the trigger after he had a great at bat. So Karachak worked out of it. Indians will try to walk it off. Bottom of the 10th next. Indians, Cubs tied at one. So he went to the bottom half of the 10th inning, and after an excellent sacrifice bunt by backup catcher Rene Rivera, plus two walks, the stage was set for Ahmed Rosario. So Naylor at third, Luplo at second, Harold Ramirez is at first. Two down, game tied at one. The set, the pitch, a swing and a line drive to right field, base hit down the line, game winner, Ahmed Rosario. And he'll get mobbed out behind the mound in front of second base. And the Indians get their second walk-off win of the year. A two-out RBI single down the right field line by Ahmed Rosario. And the Indians sweep a two-game series from the Chicago Cubs. And they win today in 10 innings, 2-1. to one. Shortly after that ball game, we had a chance to catch up with Rosario, whose story was just tremendous in terms of perseverance, fighting through some tough times. The Indians, you may recall in spring training, 
A career shortstop moved him to the outfield to see if that would work, and after a really rough start in center field in his first game there in spring training, a game where he committed three errors against the Angels, Rosario somehow settled in, and by the time the calendar turned to May, he was the starting shortstop full-time and put together one of his better seasons at the plate. And with help from Augie Rivero, the Indians' translator, Rosario talked about his hot hitting and what was the difference for him at the plate as opposed to the start of the season. Ahmed, another solid night for you last night at the plate, and it seems like for a while now you've really been swinging it well. What's the biggest difference between your current stretch and maybe how it was going early in the year when it took you a little bit to get going? Bueno, eh, creo que los ajustes. It's all about the adjustments, you know. We've been able to to make the adjustments and get the results, and I think that has been the key to be able to make the adjustments that have given some results. And anytime you come to a new team, obviously you want to do well right away. Uh, did any of that come into play where you're trying to make that good impression early? Yeah, I mean, there's always that desire to perform, but it's not so much about a new team, but it's always my own desire to be give my 100%. So that's my idea. I just try to always give my 100%, and that's what I wanted to, to do. I know there was a lot on your plate early in the year trying to, to play some center field and see how that went. Has it been easier at the plate because now you're just worried about that one position playing shortstop on an everyday basis? Yeah, I consider myself a player with a lot of skills, so you know I think I was capable of playing both positions. So I think it has nothing to do with the fact of playing two positions. It's just my desire to to give my best, and and you know that's what I am. I try to always do the best whatever I am, and, and I don't think it has anything to do with playing different positions. And I know you're a full-time shortstop now, but it seemed like you took the center field quickly. Did did you enjoy it out there? And and were there some things unexpectedly good about going out to center field and giving it a try? It's entirely something new for my career um, and it's good to know that if anything happens in the future I'm, I'm able and capable of playing a different position so it's a really good thing to, to know. You've been in the big leagues for a while and you get traded for the first time. Um, what was that like for you and your initial reaction after being growing up in an organization and establishing yourself as a good big league player with the Mets? I think it, it went really quickly. Um, surprisingly, I was. I think it was based on the welcoming that I received from uh, the member staff and a lot of the players that I got to know, and they made me feel like at home. So I feel that has made the transition a lot smoother and a lot easier, and I'm really feel really good to be here. And now that you're two months in and uh, you have a, a good spot on this ball club and things are clicking a little bit for this team, uh, what do you see here that, that has you excited about what's to come for the remainder of the season? I think it's a magnificent group of guys that they come every day to the ballpark to do their best. And, and, and that's important. They come to do their best. And also they're focusing on doing what they can control. And I think that's the key to success. If we can control what we can control. Ahmed, thanks so much for coming by. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. When you look back at the year that Rosario had, Ahmed Rosario, and uh, it certainly was a good one for him as uh, he would put together a season where he hit 282, 11 home runs, 57 runs batted in, and was fairly steady at shortstop. Now, is he a gold glove shortstop? No, but certainly a shortstop the Indians could live with in 2021. And uh, a type of player, an energy player that seemed to make other players around him better and, and give the Indians a charge when they would need it most. So a nice moment for Rosario in that 
walk-off win on May the 12th, our subject this time around of our Game of the Week. The Indians, 2-1 to one winners in 10 over the Chicago Cubs. Stay tuned. When we come back, it's a tribe tale with Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. You heard that safe drivers get rewarded with Snapshot from Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw an ad for a vintage baseball cap, and now you find yourself checking the stats of that team's second baseman in 97, wondering why his stolen base total dropped after his rookie season. Wonder how much his rookie card is worth. Yes, they said it was easy to save money with Snapshot from Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Snapshot not available in California, North Carolina, or from all agents. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And we close our show this week in what could be, not quite sure 100% yet, but this could be our final Tribe Talk. Now, the show will continue just under a different name. It will be Guardians Weekly at some point in time, perhaps very soon. But for right now, it is Tribe Talk. And we check in with Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio for a Tribe Tale, a look back at one of the greats in Cleveland Indians history. It's time for another Tribe Tale with Bob DiBiasio. Joining me now in this edition of Tribe Tales is former Indians number one draft pick, Corey Snyder. And Corey, thank you for taking the time to connect with us. Uh, before we dive into your baseball career and specifically your days with the Tribe, please catch us up on the family and what you're up to these days? Well, the family's doing well. I'm just, uh, it's always, uh, you know, tough on your way as a hitting coach. You don't get to sing as much as you like to. But summer's going good. Uh, both of my boys are uh, still playing baseball. JT's actually going to go to BYU this next year, and Taylor's going to go to a Salt Lake JC. Um, they actually were both drafted by the Mariners this year, so that was kind of fun for him. But decided to go to the school. Uh, Ashley's still a uh, gymnastic coach. At BYU and uh, Amberly is uh, after accident. Things are going really good for her, and she's actually on a horse uh, race this summer. So, other than that, it's it's real good. My two little ones are at home, just kind of finishing up the summer, getting ready for school. But uh, they're all doing well, and things are good right now. Well, I hope your boys are uh, uh, big right-handed power hitters with an incredible power arm like Dad. They're, uh, they they can uh, they can swing a little bit. JT's uh, you know a pretty good third baseman. He's got a real good arm. Uh, Taylor also is playing shortstop, so they can uh, they can play pretty well. Hopefully this next year will be even better for them. They can get drafted again and kind of get on with their pro career. They're pretty excited about kind of following Dad's footsteps. So we'll see what happens. Well, the Indians select you in the first round of the 1984 draft, the fourth overall pick. You are out of Brigham Young University. Uh, I don't know if either of your two boys are going to have the type of All-American career that you did at BYU uh, or make quite the impression on the first day as a freshman in your first game. Take us back where you saw three pitches and you saw all three of them go over the fence. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what my boys do. It was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty fun back then and uh, I had a good time. And uh, That first day was at actually at UNLV. We opened up uh, our, our season there, and uh, it was just kind of one of those days I got to start. 
and uh, started at third base. And uh, I was just, as you know, I'm a pretty aggressive hitter, and I just happened to, uh, the ball was pretty good that day, and my first three pitches went over left field fence, and uh, it was uh, pretty exciting. And crazy part, they had three home runs, didn't even start the second game of the doubleheader. So, <laughs> what's what up with, yeah, what's up with that coach, man? That's not right. Uh, uh, after being drafted by the tribe, uh, you don't play minor league baseball for the Indians that season. Instead, you're a member of the first Olympic baseball team for the United States, uh, winning a silver medal. How cool was that? That was uh, probably, besides playing the big leagues, probably the funnest time I had and probably the best experience I had. Um, I'm going to be able to, you know, play a game that you love to and do it for your country. It's you know, pretty amazing. We did about 33 cities in about 40 days on the tour, showing the nation kind of our team. We got to play in about, I think, six days, major league baseball ballpark. So it was, I mean, it's pretty fun. And, uh, you know, getting to play with, you know, Will Clark and Mark McGuire and Barry Larkin and, I mean, all these guys was, uh, was a pretty amazing experience. And um, it was just something that probably, probably be the highlight of my baseball career. So I won't ever forget. You start your pro career in 85, you're at Class A Waterloo, and then in 86 you're at uh, AAA Old Town, Maine. After only 49 games and a total of just 188 minor league games, you make your big league debut on June 13, 1986 at the age of 23. Do you think you were ready for that? Um, you know, it's, it's weird uh, these days, you know, coaching these kids and things like that. It's, it's kind of like guys move up and they're worried about moving up and they're worried about doing this and that. And I just, uh, as I look back at it, it was kind of, I was just happy, lucky, blessed to play the game of baseball. And I wasn't really worried, worried about moving on or doing things or when am I getting called up, what's happened. I just played. And, uh, you know, things went really well that first year in Waterbury. And then, uh, you know, my second year in Maine, it was it just kind of, you know, kept going. And, you know, I kind of build confidence. You know, it's one of those things when you come out of college, you're doing well, you know, confidence is high, you're feeling good, and you just kind of keep moving on. And so when I got the call, um, it was, you know, a pretty amazing thing. I think I was you know, probably in shock or numb for the first, uh, you know, two, three weeks. Is this really happening? It's just, you know, this is my long life, you know, dream to be here. And, uh, whether I was ready or not, it came, and uh, I just kind of took off with it, ran with it, and it was a, a great experience. In that debut, uh, you are facing uh, an eventual Hall of Famer in Bert Blylevin. You go one for four with a triple. Um, so your uh, welcome to the big leagues is uh, against one of the greatest curveball pitchers in uh, the history of the game. Yeah, he had uh, one of the best curveballs you know, I ever faced, uh, besides maybe Dave Speed with Toronto, but... Uh, it's funny we kind of talked about and reminisce about different pitches we we faced, and um, it's kind of neat to know that I, you know, faced a Hall of Fame pitcher, and uh, you know things went well. I was lucky to uh, get the ball to right center, and I hit it off the wall and get a triple. But uh, I mean, it was pretty exciting, and um, you know, he's from Southern California too, so we kind of knew each other and played a few golf tournaments together. So it was a uh, it was a great time, and again, a great experience, and enjoy every bit of it. Give us your reflections on, on your five years with the Indians. You know, during that time, you averaged 23 homers, 23 doubles, about 70 ribbies per season. You're playing alongside Joe Carter, Andre Thornton, Brooke Jacoby, Julio Franco, Mel Hall, 
Brett Butler. That was some fun times in the uh, mid to late 80s uh, with Cleveland Indians baseball. Reflect on that time in Cleveland. You know, it was probably uh, probably the funnest time I had playing pro ball. Um, it was just, you know, you kind of always have that connection with the team that's drafted you, and, you know, they believe in you, and you believe in what's happening there. And um, just with the players that, you know, that was surrounded with, like you said, Joe Carter and Brett Butler, and they're still really good friends of mine. And, uh, being able to, to play, you know, with those guys, and also Andre Thornton was there and kind of learned from him, and he was a great person to look up to. But those five years were, uh, were pretty amazing. I uh, made a lot of friends in Cleveland. Um, to be honest, I, I wish I could have played, you know, for Cleveland my whole career just because it was a place I loved to go to during the summer. Great friends. Uh, the fans were unbelievable. But, uh, you know, back then times kind of kind of changed and, uh, you know, guys move on. But uh, it was just um, just the, even the old stadium, you know, when I think about it and talk about it, it just brings back great memories with all the great players that played before me with the Indians. And um, it was just uh, it was neat to be a part of that for five years. And it was just, again, a great experience, a wonderful time uh, in my career. Well, Corey, it was wonderful catching up with you, sir. And on behalf of Tribe fans everywhere, our thoughts and prayers are with Amber Lee and the entire Snyder family. I appreciate it, Bobby D, and I appreciate your friendship always. Corey Snyder, our latest Tribe tale. That's Indian Senior Vice President Bob DiBiasio, and that's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, thanks to Brian Matze for helping to put together our show each week. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance.